Well, good evening. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open that up to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be tonight. We'll be in Philippians chapter 3 as we continue our study through this remarkable book, as we continue our study uh, on a book that really offers us encouragement from house arrest. Now, as you're turning to Philippians 3, the question in your mind might be this question, why is Brian preaching with that stick in his hand? Well, what is Brian doing here with this stick, and why is he holding it so menacingly? And there's a reason for that. And the reason is, this week, I've been thinking about something. I've been thinking about my own life, and I've been thinking about it in relation to an arcade game that you may have played as a kid, or possibly even not as a kid. Um, I wonder how many of you listening right now remember um, the arcade game Whack-A-Mole. You remember this game? The moles come up and you have the little thing and you're trying to beat it and you're trying to get them and you're trying to knock down each single little mole that pops up and you're trying to go as it goes. And I was thinking this week about whack-a-mole because I was thinking about how so often my life looks like whack-a-mole. And maybe you aren't like this. Maybe, maybe you are more mature than me. Maybe you have a better sense of peace than me. But so often I feel like in my life it turns into whack-a-mole. So like there's a little problem in my home and I'm trying to like get this problem done. And once I've got this problem solved, I see a problem over there and so I run and I go and I try to fix it. And I find myself in my home and in my family with all of the things that are going on with two children and a wife and trying to juggle all of that. I'm constantly playing whack-a-mole. And then I don't know about you, but maybe you find yourself doing that at work as well. You've got this email to respond to. And once you responded to that email, suddenly this person texts you. And then you've got a Zoom meeting, and you can't remember the password or the code to the Zoom meeting. And so you try to solve that, and by the time you get on, your internet isn't working. So you're constantly playing whack-a-mole. And it's like all of these issues in your life, you're constantly dealing with this one. And then this one. And then you layer on top of all of that. You layer on top of all of that, all of the crazy stuff that's going on in our culture, right? Like you see someone tweeted something and you're like, oh my goodness, you get angry about it. And then you see someone else said something inappropriate and so you get mad about that. Then you see this video and then you see this thing and then you're in this text message and then this person stirs you up. And don't even get me started on politics because once you turn on the news, it gets worse, right? You're like, I cannot believe they passed that bill or this thing. And you go on and on and on. And here's what happens. Uh, Again, it's possible that your life is nothing like mine. It's possible that you have your life totally under control and things are totally peaceful. and You have no problems and nothing upsets you. Nothing riles you up. But just in case for you, your life sometimes looks a little like whack-a-mole. Here's what you know is true about your life, because here's what I realized so often is true about my life this week. But like as I was thinking about whack-a-mole, as I was thinking about how much of my life I spend running around trying to fix problems and trying to take care of everything so that my life is perfectly at peace, I realized two things about it. The first is, and you can hear it in my voice, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to constantly run around life trying to fix every problem and make sure nothing's ever wrong with your life. It's exhausting. It exhausts me. And here's the other thing it does to me. It's not only that it exhausts me, it's that it gives me anxiety, right? Like when I feel the need to take care of every little problem in my life and fix everything and make sure my life has no problems, I'm anxious because of what's to come in the future. And I'm exhausted because of what came in the past. And I want to think about that tonight as we go into Philippians chapter 3. Because I think Paul might actually have something to say to you. Uh, Again, if your life is never like whack-a-mole, and you never find yourself exhausted and anxious about the problems in your life, then perhaps this sermon's for someone else tonight. But perhaps this sermon's for you if you know what it's like to feel exhausted. 
if you know what it's like to feel anxious. You, you see, here's a question I want you to wonder about tonight. Here's a question that I want to frame up our, our conversation on Philippians 3 tonight. And here's the question. It's very simple. What if it was possible for you to become a non-anxious presence in the midst of the chaos? But like, what if it was possible in the midst of the chaos of your home, of the drama in your family, of the drama at your workplace or at your school, of all of the issues and the chaos in our culture and our politics and our world with a pandemic and all of the issues flying about, what if it was possible for you to be a non-anxious presence? Like, what if it was possible for you to be the opposite of the person who's constantly trying to fix everything in their life and is exhausted and anxious? What if it was possible for you to become what I'm going to call tonight a non-anxious presence in the world? And here's what I want to suggest to you. It's not only possible to become a non-anxious presence in this world, it is entirely doable. It is entirely desirable. And for the follower of Jesus, you are commanded to be that kind of presence. So tonight I want to look at what it might look like for you to have a non-anxious presence in the midst of the world's chaos. Tonight I want to look at what it means for you to drop the whack-a-mole stick, to drop this the whole thing you do where you try to solve every problem in your life and every problem in the world and let it get to you. Tonight, I want to talk to you about how to be a non-anxious presence in this world. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to Philippians chapter 3, and it's going to begin in verse 15 if you have your Bible with you. And I so want you to have your Bible as you track along with us. It begins this way. Paul says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. Now, we're picking up here in verse 15. Last week, if you listen, uh, Pastor Brian Williams took us all the way up through 14. And what we saw there was all of us then. So this is in response to whatever verse 14 was, who are mature should take such a view of things. But like in other words, you can't read verse 15 if you don't know what the previous verses said. And so in order to know what all of us then, like what the then is or what these things are, we need to go back just a verse or two. So can we go back for just a verse or two? I want to show this on the screen here. It says, brothers or sisters, this is Paul in the sentence before. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Like in other words, Paul begins verse 15 with this declaration that based on what was just said, all of us should think in this way. Those who are mature should have this kind of thinking. And here's the kind of thinking that Paul is describing in verses 13 and 14. We saw this last week. It's that we don't consider ourselves to have taken hold of perfection yet. Like we don't consider ourselves perfect yet, but rather we let go of what's behind and we press on toward what's ahead. Like in other words, what Paul is trying to say here, the kind of mindset he wants the Christian to have here is the kind of mindset that says, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not perfect yet. I don't have everything together yet. I'm not this perfect Christian who's perfectly formed into the image of Jesus. I'm in process. And in fact, here's the way I want to put it to you tonight. I want to talk to you. I told you about what it means for you to be a non-anxious presence in this world. To be the type of individual in the midst of all of the problems and all of the chaos and all of the worry in your life and in your family and your workplace and your school. For you to be a non-anxious presence. And based on this, here's my first observation tonight. That people with a non-anxious presence are comfortable being a work in process. But like the people in your life who are non-anxious, who aren't worried, who aren't overwhelmed by everything, who aren't consumed with all of the things of this world. This may sound counterintuitive, but they're actually the people who are comfortable 
being a work in progress. So you might think the people who are least worried in this world and most calm and most at peace are the people who have it all together, but that's not so. It's the people who understand that they don't have it all together. It's the people who understand that they're flawed. It's the people who understand that they have room to grow still are the people who become a non-anxious presence. Like, I wonder if you could identify. What, what are the spaces, what are the areas that you need to grow in to become more like Jesus? I think part of us approaching the problems and the chaos of this world involves us recognizing that we're still a work in progress. We haven't arrived yet. Like if you ask me, okay, Brian, what do you need to grow in? I should be able to identify specific things. Like it won't do for us to just say, well, I need to trust God more. Of course you do. But what specifically do you need to grow in? Like if you ask me, I know that I would tell you that I need to slow down and listen to people better, including and most significantly my wife, right? Like I need to listen better and stop being so quick to fix and be more slow to listen and be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry. I know if you ask me, where are you still a work in progress? I would tell you I need to become much more comfortable with silence. I need to become much more comfortable with not having my phone up or headphones in listening to a podcast. I am still a work in progress. And the more I recognize that I haven't arrived, I'm not perfect, I still have to grow, and that's a good thing, the more at peace I find myself in this world. Think about the people in your life who won't even recognize that they're still a work in progress. The people who think they always have to show how perfect and right they are in everything. Those aren't the people who are at peace. Those aren't the non-anxious presences in your life. The people who are non-anxious are the ones who are aware that they haven't reached perfection yet. Here's how it goes on in the back half of verse 15. I want to continue to show this to you here. It says, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So, so in other words, you need to become the type of person who's comfortable being in process. You need to become the type of person who's comfortable saying, I haven't arrived, I haven't held on to it yet, I haven't gotten to where I need to go, so I'm still pressing toward Jesus, but I'm not there yet. And then Paul says this super passive-aggressive line. Like, I know you don't necessarily think this is funny, but think what he's saying. He's like, and if you don't agree with me, God will change your mind. Like, if you don't agree with me, God will set you straight. And there's actually something funny about this, but there's actually something true about this, too. Like part of us maturing in Jesus and becoming more like him is us being willing to have God make things clear to us. I mean, this just sounds so simple, but I want you to think of it this way. Part of being mature in Jesus means us coming to a place where we're okay being wrong, where we're okay with God correcting us, where we're okay with God saying, no, no, you thought that way, but you were actually wrong about that. And here would be my observation about the non-anxious people in this world. These non-anxious presences, the people who are there and they're just not overwhelmed by everything and they bring peace to every situation. It's the people with a non-anxious presence admit they're wrong quickly, completely, and often. The people in your life who have this non-anxious presence in your life and in this world are able to admit they're wrong. And they do so in three ways. They do so quickly. Like, they don't have to be dragged into it. They don't have to be convinced over and over again. They're able to just do so. They're, they're able to do so completely. Uh, like, you ever met someone who said, well, I was wrong, but I was mostly right. Or they're always trying to hedge their bets and never able to just completely say they were wrong. And the people who are non-anxious presence in this world are able to just say that they're wrong often. They're able to do that. Because, listen to me, the people who can never admit they're wrong are never at peace 
The people who always have to prove that they're right are never a peaceful, non-anxious presence in the room. Think about the people you know who are always trying to prove that they're right, who never say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry, I really messed that one up. I dropped the ball there. I was wrong. I thought this, but it was actually that. Those people are never bringing peace into a room. They're always bringing pressure into a room. I wanna ask you this question tonight. How often, how frequently, how completely are you able to admit that you were wrong on something? But like, I'll stand here and tell you tonight. I was totally wrong about this whole season we're going through right now. Back when I first heard about coronavirus and a disease and this issue and this thing going on, I thought this will blow over. This is nothing. This is overblown. This is so small. And, and, and hear me, I, I was wrong. I, I was wrong. I was optimistic. I thought, okay, everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be a big deal. It won't disrupt my life. I was wrong. I've had so many guesses about the stay-at-home order and when it's going to end and what we're going to be able to do and how we're going to be able to do it. And I've been wrong. And you know what happens? When I have the capacity to admit that I'm wrong, when I'm comfortable saying I don't have everything together, I didn't assess that person right, I was wrong about this Bible passage, I was wrong about this thing in life, I judged this girl too quickly, or I judged this guy too, too uh, it took me too long. Like when I can admit that I'm wrong, I become this non-anxious presence who's not obsessed with everything being right and me always being right, but rather just obsessed with the people in the room and how I can serve them best. It goes on this way in verse 16. It says, only let us live up to what we have already obtained. So, so Paul is going to insist that, that we're gonna be the type of people who can admit that we're wrong. We're gonna be the type of people who can admit that we're still in process. And, and, and at the same time, like we're able to admit that we're wrong, we're able to admit that we're in process. Paul's actually going to affirm us in some way. He's going to say, as Christians to the Philippian church and, and to us listening in on this letter, we can live up to what we've already obtained. Like in other words, at the same time that I want you to be able to admit that you were wrong and admit that you're a work in progress, I also want you to admit that God's been at work in you, that God's been forming you, that God's been changing your heart, making him more like you, making you more mature, teaching you things, shaping you, making you more like his son Jesus. See, this is the tension. The tension is that we don't wanna just believe that we've got it all together and we're totally perfect and it's all good, but we also don't wanna fall into this myth that, that we're just terrible and horrible and God's done nothing in us and we've got nothing. It's actually this tension between the two. And here's what I'd submit to you tonight, that people with a non-anxious presence recognize and celebrate God's work in their life. Like they recognize it, they see it. That they go, you know what, I, I used to not read my Bible ever. But, but now I read my Bible occasionally, and it's not as much as I should, but it's more than I used to. And those are the type of people who go, you know what? Even the fact that you are watching this live stream tonight, listening to a preacher, worshiping Jesus, setting your hearts on things above, mean that God, God's brought you somewhere. And you recognize that, and you celebrate what God's done. Like, I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not where I once was. Like the type of people who can celebrate God's work in their life are the type of people who go, you know what? I used to struggle with the dis this addiction and I don't anymore. I used to believe this lie about me and I don't anymore. I used to walk in fear and trembling and insecurity and I don't anymore. See, this is the type of person who can be a non-anxious presence in the world. The type of person who goes, I haven't arrived, but listen, I'm confident that God's begun his work in me. God's been working in me and working through me this whole time. I'm not on my own on this thing. God is with me. See, the type of person that I want to become 
in the midst of my problems, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the stress, is the type of person who can identify what God has already started to do in my heart and in my life. It goes on this way in verse 17. It says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So so here's this really interesting observation I want to point out to you within the scriptures. Um, Oftentimes as Christians, we kind of have it in our minds that we're just supposed to set our eyes on Jesus. And and this is actually a scriptural, biblical thing in Hebrews 12. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Like there's this beautiful image that we're supposed to look toward Jesus You think of Peter walking out on the lake, and he's supposed to look toward Jesus. There's all these images of looking toward Jesus. And if you're not careful, what you can actually start to say is, I'm never supposed to look toward someone else for their faith. I'm always and only supposed to look at Jesus. But one of the things I'd like to just point out to you throughout the scripture, it's a major theme that you'll see coming up over and over again, is that sometimes you're commanded not to set your eyes on Jesus, but to set your eyes on other people. That's exactly what this says, right? Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Like, yes, I'm supposed to look at Jesus, and yes, I'm supposed to pursue him, and yes, I'm supposed to look like Jesus and not some other person, but I'm also called to set my eyes on people who are walking after Jesus. I'm called to set my eyes on people who are walking in maturity. Like Part of what it means for us to follow Jesus, to grow up in Christ, to be a non-anxious presence in this world filled with peace and joy in the midst of the storm, is for us to identify and keep our eyes on the type of individuals who are walking after Jesus. So so here's the way I want to put it to you tonight. It might sound a little backwards, but let me put it this way. That the people who are non-anxious presence have learned to control their inputs. This is a phrase that I've been wrestling with for years now. Controlling my inputs. Because here's what I'd say to you. Every single person you ever interact with Every single person you ever look at, anytime you absorb information or an idea or a person or a personality, anytime that happens, that is an input into your life. And so when you interact with your friends and family, when you spend time with someone, when you talk with them on the phone, when you work with someone, that's an input into your life. They have an input. They have an influence on your life. The same is true of like whoever you follow on Instagram. And I'm not just talking about your friends. I'm talking like your influencer you follow or the celebrity you follow or or the person who inspires you or or the person who drags you down. Like it's an input in your life. Like every television show you watch is an input in your life. Every song you listen to on your headphones or on your speaker in your room is an input in your life. Every church service you tune into is an input in your life. Every time you read a book, it's an input in your life. And here's what I'd suggest to you. The people who become a non-anxious presence are the people who learn to control what's coming in. They're the people who learn to look toward people who build them up and build courage into them and build holiness into them and build love and truth and goodness into them rather than people who build into them inputs that they don't actually desire. See, part of you becoming a non-anxious presence in this world is you becoming the type of person who decides who gets to have input into your life and who doesn't. And I want you to know, you get to decide that. So so like, listen, for for me, one of the things I've recognized in my own life um, is there are certain people who are good people, who are Christian people, who are wonderful blessings in this world, 
But if I follow them on Instagram, I will see them. And when I see them because of my issues, I become insecure, I become jealous, I become frustrated. And so it actually causes me to stumble. It's not their fault. They haven't done anything wrong, but it's an issue within me. And so if I want to become a non-anxious presence in this world, I need to control that input and unfollow them. Because every time I see their posts, every time I see what they're doing, every time I see this other preacher and how good he is, I just feel terrible and I feel like I'm the worst and I become anxious because I'm not him. But this is where a non-anxious person learns to control their inputs. Like I wonder for you if there's anyone you need to unfollow on social media right now. Because every time you see them, it makes you insecure. Every time you see her, it stirs up fear or feeling like you're less than. I wonder if you need to do that. I wonder if for some of you, there's music you need to delete from your phone. Like every time you listen, like, like it just stuns me. I, I say this every couple of months and try to make a few of you angry. Um, it stuns me that some of us can say we're Christians, we love Jesus, and yet the content of the music we listen to is foul, it is vulgar, it is offensive to the Lord our God. And to think that that can be an input in your life and not affect you at all is crazy. And listen, this isn't some kind of like legalism of like, if you listen to horrible, bad music of the devil, you're, you're going to hell. It's not this like crazy thing. It's just saying if I have input into my life that is diametrically opposed to the things of God, there's no way I can expect myself to become a non-anxious presence. Like the same is true of TV shows. The same is true with movies. The same is true with all of these. Maybe there's an app on your phone. Maybe there's certain social media apps. Maybe there's certain things on your phone you just need to get rid of because the person who's not anxious learns to control their inputs. It's the person who decides they're not just gonna get overwhelmed with all of these things that trigger them because they wanna be this non-anxious presence in the midst of a chaotic world. It goes on this way in verse 18. It says, for often, for as I have often told you before and now and tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. And their mind is set on earthly things. So what Paul is describing here is Paul is describing the type of individual who is not a Christian. He's describing the type of individual who is not walking with Jesus. And he talks about them as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says their destiny is destruction. Like in other words, if you don't have your trust and faith put in God, if you've not submitted your life to him, you will not spend eternity with him. You will spend eternity away from him in destruction. And I know some of you think that's absolutely crazy, but I think it's crazy that you would think you would reject God your whole life, but then in eternity want to be with him. This is why it says their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Like, I'll get back to that in a second. It's their glory is their shame. The things they think are so wonderful are actually things that are filling their lives with shame and their mind is set on earthly things. But I want to focus in on this sentence. Their God is their stomach. This was an ancient way of talking about desires. The, the stomach, it was not, it's not talking about food. It's not like your God is your stomach. So like all you do is eat food and you love food and all you think about is food. It, that's a metaphor. That's an image. It's an idea. The idea that your God is your stomach is this. That every time you have a desire, you act upon it. You always do what you feel in a given moment. And what Paul is describing is the type of people who don't know Jesus, the type of people who don't have a confidence and a trust in Jesus Christ, who haven't submitted their lives to Christ. He says their God is their stomach. And I need you to understand that if you walk in the same pattern, even you as a child of God, if you walk in the same pattern where your God is your stomach, you will never become a non-anxious presence in this world. Because let me put it this way. The people with a non-anxious presence say no to themselves often. 
Like you need to understand this. If you are the type of person who always does what you feel in a given moment, who rarely says no to yourself, who always gives in to temptation and craving and desire, if you are that type of person, there is no way you will become a non-anxious presence in this world. Because here's what you need to know about your desires. Here's what you need to know about you, that, that you become a terrible master of yourself. And the reason you're a terrible master is because you don't realize you have warring desires within you. Uh, have you ever decided that you were going to get up early and do a quiet time before you started your day? So maybe you were going to work or going to school or going on a trip and you said, okay, I need to leave at seven. So I'm going to get up at six and have a cup of coffee and spend time with the Lord. And then six rolls around and the alarm goes off. And now there's these competing desires, right? There's the desire to stay in bed because it's warm and you're tired. And there's the desire to get up and to say no, to deny yourself and to go be with Jesus. These are the non-anxious people. The people who are able to say no to themselves. The people who are able to say no to the temptation just to stay in bed and not get up and get going. It's the people who are able in a moment of quiet, rather than just immediately pulling out their phone and going into some app and going on to something to entertain their brain, are able to just say no and sit there in silence. How often have you done that recently? Like how often have you been in a store, in a line, and you're standing there in line or you're waiting for food or you're waiting for the microwave to go? How often do you just stand there and do nothing and actually enjoy the silence and sit in that moment? See, the non-anxious people in this world are able to say no to the impulse to check their phone, to the impulse to go on social media, to the impulse uh, to give in to the worst desires, whether it's alcohol or, or whether it's drugs or whether it's that sexual addiction you have. It's the capacity to say no to yourself that makes you this non-anxious person in the world. It's when you choose to give away money when it's way more tempting to spend it on yourself. It's when you choose not to make that sarcastic and mean joke when it's so easy to do so. You see, the people you know that are these non-anxious presence in your life, the people you know that are just calm in the midst of all of that, long ago made the decision that they were not going to say yes to every impulse and feeling and desire that came into their life, but rather they were going to filter that through a grid of what God has called them to and what desire they have for their life, not just in this moment, but in every moment. And my question for you to wrestle with tonight is, are you saying no to yourself often? Are you denying yourself? Because that's what Jesus said, said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a non-anxious presence in this world, if you want to be filled with my peace and joy, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. That's the instruction of Jesus, that we would say no to ourselves and that we would do so often. It continues on this way in verse 20. So he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And I feel like this sentence right here could become a whole sermon. And perhaps in an election year like this, it will become a whole sermon at some point. Because I think this can be a really mixed up topic for some of us. Because here's what some of us think. That we're citizens of heaven and we're citizens of the United States of America. And those are both kind of equal things. Like we have both. And here's what I want to say to you. I'm so grateful to be a citizen of the United States of America. I am proud to be in America. I love this country. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. And yet that citizenship sits well below the fact that I'm a citizen of heaven. It sits below that. I am a citizen of heaven. The most important identification card I have is not my passport. It's not my social security card. The most important identification in my life is my faith in Jesus Christ because that makes me a citizen of heaven. And long into the future, when the United States of America is forgotten in all of eternity, heaven will be there. 
Uh, like we're not gonna be waving the United States flag in heaven talking about how great we are. We're gonna be talking about Jesus and how great he is in heaven forevermore. And I need to say this, and I need to say this clearly, because I think when we start getting it mixed up and we start getting more passionate about our citizenship in this country than our citizenship in heaven, that's when things can get really messy for Christians. It's where we can get really off the main thing. It's where we can get distracted, and it's where we can get caught up in things that we were never meant to be caught up in. So here's what I want to say this tonight. And I know for some of you this is going to be tough to stomach, but I want to say this, that people who are non-anxious presence think more about their own house than the White House. They think more about their own house, their own life, their own family, their own home, their own rhythms, their own patterns, their own generosity, their own giving, all of that. They think more about this than the White House. They think more about this than they do about politics, than they do about the governor of the state of California and the mayor and all of the decisions and all of the things. Now, I want you to listen to me because some of you just got mad. Because some of you have this belief that I'm saying it is more important what's going on in your heart and your house and your life than what goes on in the White House. And some of you heard me say it doesn't matter what happens in the White House. And that is not what I said. Just because something isn't the most important thing in the world doesn't mean it's not important at all. So when I say politics isn't the most important thing in your life, the most important thing is your relationship with Jesus, I'm not saying Jesus is important and politics isn't important. I think politics can be important. I'm at, I, I inform myself. I try to be educated. I try to learn. I plan on voting this fall. I plan on voting any way I can and being engaged in the process. But here's what I know. I can vote. I can care. I can be invested in the process. But ultimately, if I want to be at peace, I've got to recognize that what's happening in my house, what's happening this morning when I got up and my kids were running around, what happened this morning when I was talking to my wife, what happened today when I was just dealing with the different things I deal with, that's going to be far more significant to my peace than what happens in the White House. And the people I know who are most riled up, who are the least peaceful, are the people who get this exactly backwards. Like their own house is crumbling, but they're so obsessed with politics they're always talking about politics and tweeting about politics and posting about politics and riled up about politics and everything they do is about politics and they watch shows on TV, on cable news, and it stirs them up more and they are not a non-anxious presence, they are an anxious presence. And here's what I want you to know. It is good to be informed, it is good to vote, it is good to care about this. If you are passionate about an issue right now, even including these lockdowns and what we should do or not do in response to this virus, I wanna say that is a good thing. I just want you to make sure that you're not getting so wrapped up in that that you forget about your soul. Because if you do, you'll become an anxious presence in this world and you won't even realize it. Because the people who learn to be a non-anxious presence think more about their own house than the White House. I want to go on, and this is the final um, part of this scripture we'll read as we wrap up chapter three here. It says, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. So here's how Paul ends this. 
we've been talking tonight about how to be this non-anxious presence in this world. And I actually think this sentence, this little group of words here could be the type of thing that is perhaps the most important thing for us to understand on how we can be this non-anxious presence in the midst of chaos, in the midst of worry, in the midst of all of the problems going on in life. And here's why. It says we await a savior from there. The there is heaven, right? We're a citizen of heaven. We wait a savior from there. It reminds us that the story of the human race, the story of this virus, the story of the United States of America and the world and our life and our family and our grandchildren ends with Jesus returning, the second coming of Jesus. It ends with Jesus Christ cracking the sky that every eye would see him and every ear would hear and everyone would know that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is coming a day where Jesus will return in glory to judge the living and the dead. And it says the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, like in other words, Jesus is already in charge of everything, says we'll transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body that Jesus Christ will return, the dead will be raised, and those who know Jesus will be raised and resurrected with him forevermore. This is the story of the gospel. Like the great story of the gospel isn't that Jesus forgives your sins and you float away to heaven someday with your soul. No, the great story of the gospel is better than that. It's no matter what happens in this life, here's how your story ends, here's how my story ends, here's how the story ends. Jesus Christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. He comes in power and he raises the dead to a resurrected, eternal, glorious state forevermore. Here's what you need to know, that people with a non-anxious presence know that their story ends in victory. That's how your story ends. Like, I don't know what today looks like. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I don't know if you'll get sick. I don't know if you'll lose your job. I don't know what happens next. Here's what I know, though. My confidence, the capacity I have to be a non-anxious presence in this world doesn't come from how strong I am, how many resources I have, how many friends I have, what connections I have. My capacity to be a non-anxious presence in the midst of a pandemic comes from the fact that I know my story ends in victory. It ends in triumph. It ends in Jesus returning and raising the dead and us living and reigning and ruling with him forevermore. You need to understand that the doctrine of the last things, that the eschatology, this belief about what happens at the end, isn't some random thing in the book of Revelation. It is the core of the gospel message that you can walk in confidence right now because you know what the last chapter of the story is. That you can walk in faith right now because you know it doesn't end in disaster. That you can walk in peace and be a non-anxious presence because you know that Jesus wins in the end. You see, if you've been hearing anything tonight, I hope you've been hearing this. I wanna close with this idea. Um, There are two basic ways of dealing with your problems. Two, and and, and really only two. And here's the first basic way. It's, It's that you fix it's that you fix all of your problems. So you no longer have anything to worry about, right? Like that's number one. Like number one is you fix all of your problems. And that way you don't have anything to worry about anymore. And so what you do is you just, you, you run around and you find problems. And you get them. And then you find another one. And you get it. And you find another issue. And you get it. And you keep going around. And you keep fixing problems. See, that's one of the ways we can deal with that. I don't know. Is it on the screen? Do we lose it? Do we lose it? Okay, there we go. This is one of the things we do. We run around and we fix our problems. We whack-a-mole, right? And we go around and we have problems in our family and problems at work and problems with our health and problems with this and problems with this. And it's exhausting. But here's the other way. See, if the first basic way is that we fix all of our problems so we no longer have anything to worry about, here's the second one. 
that we practice becoming a non-anxious presence in the midst of your problems. That that we actually stop playing whack-a-mole. We stop trying to fix everything. We stop trying to make everything right right now. It's not that we're passive. It's not that we don't try to problem solve. It's not that we never work on an issue. But it's just that we wake up every morning with the awareness that there are going to be problems today. I wonder if you actually wake up that way. Do you ever wake up and just recognize that your day is not going to go exactly perfectly as you always imagined it would? Do you know how much more freed you'd be if you actually woke up every morning and recognized that we live in a fallen, broken world and things probably won't go perfectly and you're going to have problems, but you can be non-anxious about it anyway? See, this type of thing is exhausting. It only leads to anxiety. It only leads to exhaustion. But to say I'm going to be a non-anxious presence allows you to walk into each day and go, whatever happens today, I know God is with me. Whatever happens today, I know God is working in me. I know that I'm not there yet, but he's still working in my heart and my soul. And above all, God, I know that you're going to bring all things to rights. You're going to bring victory into my life, that my story is not going to end in tragedy. It's not going to end in disaster. It's going to end in resurrection. That's the non-anxious presence that you can live into. And here's how I want to close. I want to close to the person out there who's objecting. Like, I could never be this. Like, Brian, that's nice for you to say, but I could never be a non-anxious presence. I have anxiety. I've been diagnosed. I have things to worry about. You haven't had the trauma I've had. You haven't had the stuff that I've dealt with. You haven't had the loss or the fear or the pain that I've gone through. And here's what I want to admit. I have no idea what everyone's issue is or how everyone's gone through it. I know that there are things in our life that can affect this. I know there are things in our life that can make this more difficult for some people than others. I'm willing to confess that. I'm willing to confess that for some of you, being this non-anxious presence in the world might actually be more difficult than for others. And it's not because you're spiritually immature or you're bad. It might be because of what happened to you, the family you were raised in, the hand you were dealt, the circumstances you had, the health condition you're walking in. I know that. But here's the word I want to point out to you about being a non-anxious presence. I want you to notice I didn't say just be a non-anxious presence in the midst of the problems. I want to point out that the word here is practice. You practice at it. You work at it. You try a little bit and you fail and you work at it and you become more and more and more a non-anxious presence in the world. Here's how I want to close. I want to close by suggesting to you that becoming a non-anxious presence requires deliberate practice. You work at it. You keep working at it. You get up and go. It'd be like this. It's like if tomorrow um, you woke up and and I told you, hey, um, you're going to be running a marathon. That's the goal. Run a marathon. Because to some of you, becoming this non-anxious presence in this world kind of feels like running a marathon, right? Like if I said, go run a marathon, and then you got up tomorrow morning, Friday morning, and decided to run 26.2 miles, like for some of you, you would like pass out. For some of you, your legs would never work. Some of you would just die on the spot, right? Like that's what might happen. And it feels like I'm saying, go run a marathon tomorrow. But every one of us knows if your goal is to run a marathon, that's not what you're going to do. You're not just going to go run a marathon tomorrow. You might get up tomorrow and stretch a little bit. You might walk a mile. Maybe the next day you'll jog a mile. Maybe the next week you'll go two miles. And then two weeks after that, you're up to three and four miles and five miles and 10 miles and 15 miles and 20 miles. And then eventually all of your training and all of your preparation, all of your deliberate practice gets you to a point where you could run a marathon without dying. And so you do it. And then maybe you do that once and you decide I did it once. Maybe I can get a better time. 
And so you practice and you stretch and you train and you do all that you need to do with deliberate practice and your time gets better and better and better. And the truth is there are some of you who are just more, like your body's just more inclined to run marathons, so you might be a little ahead. Some of you might be a little bit behind on that curve, but you'd get there if there was enough deliberate practice. And the same is true with being a non-anxious presence in this world. I'm not saying you just turn it on tomorrow. I'm not saying you just decide to be a non-anxious presence. But I am telling you that if you walk in the deliberate practice of the things we talked about tonight, admitting you're wrong, being okay being on the journey, controlling your inputs, not letting these things just dominate your mind and heart, believing these truths of the gospel, when you do that, when you walk in deliberate practice, eventually, slowly, but surely, you'll become the type of person who wakes up in the morning and has problems. And you're aware there are problems. And you're aware things aren't perfect. And you're aware there's scary things and things that would make you anxious and used to make you anxious, but strangely enough, you'll find they don't anymore. Not because the world isn't scary, but because you've become a non-anxious presence in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the problems. That's my invitation to you. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to have deliberate practice, to say, I'm gonna read the word and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna be in my Bible and I'm gonna be around people and I'm gonna control my inputs and I'm gonna cut out things that make me feel insecure or less than. I'm gonna absorb input from the people who are good and who are filled with the spirit and who are loving me. I'm gonna become that type of person. That's the invitation for you. Not some other day, not in the future, but it's to begin that deliberate practice right now. Because here's what you need to know. I'm gonna drop some bad news on you tonight. This will not be the last moment in your life scary stuff is happening. You need to know that. You know that already. You know this won't be the last moment. Even though this feels like the craziest thing in the world right now, there'll come a day we look back and go, oh yeah, 2020, what a weird year. That year's coming. There's going to be a day where we look back on this and it seems so small to us because there's new problems on the horizon. And when that next problem comes, when the next global issue comes, when the next thing in your life or your family or your health, when that next thing comes, wouldn't it be great if you had put in so much deliberate practice that you became a non-anxious presence? You became the person in the room who said, guys, there's problems, but I'm okay with the problems because I don't want a life without problems. I want a life without fear. And that's what Jesus came to offer me, a perfect love that casts out fear. Let's pray. God, thanks for tonight and thanks for your word. God, I don't know who I'm praying for right now, but I'm just praying for someone sitting on a couch in a living room, in a bedroom, in a kitchen somewhere in their home who just feels so chaotic. Everything feels so wild. I pray that she would become this non-anxious presence in the midst of it. God, for the young man who's just got so many issues and so many insecurities and so many things fighting against him, God, would you make him courageous? God, give him brave, make him brave, give him faith that he would become this non-anxious presence in the midst of this world. God, help us to do this not on our strength, but on the power of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I just pray you would take the word of God that was preached tonight and just drive it into hearts wherever it's needed. God, would you make us the type of men and women who in the midst of a culture that is losing their minds would be filled with a non-anxious, non-fearful presence. God, help us to become that. It seems impossible to me, but nothing's impossible for you, God. So we trust you, we believe you, and by faith we cry out to you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.